0: Well, please turn your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4, if you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats, I believe it's page 228. Oh, Harvest, it's so good to be back with you. Um, grateful for Pastor Eric taking last Sunday and taking you through 1 Samuel 3 and, and just how we worship a God that speaks. And uh, as we'll be talking here in a little bit, just how God is speaking increasingly more through the book of Samuel and uh, revealing himself and showing himself. And uh, so cool. Chapter three to a 12 year old boy, to a teen boy, teens. Uh, you are significant for that. Hey, just one more note. I'm actually going to be in Pure, Harvest Peoria. Uh, speaking for their three services, they're preaching there next Sunday, and I want to just take a minute uh, to for us to pray. Pastor Tim, who's a senior pastor there, uh, is having brain surgery tomorrow, and uh, Tim has just been a very, very special guy. He was an engineer uh, for a number of years, and uh, similarly, like myself, kind of midway through life, stepped into vocational ministry. And Tim has been had a big impact here on this church in ways you don't even know about, just because of our relationship and friendship. And if I could, let's just kind of take a minute and lift him up to the Lord here as that takes place. So let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, churches, the churches in our area, the churches all around the world and what you are doing. And Father, here in just this moment, uh, we pray specifically uh, for Tim, Tim Harkness, and uh, just tomorrow as he goes in for another brain surgery. He's just had problems with this over the years, and God, life is in your hands, and I know that he's in a good place, and he's trusting you, and he's preaching today uh, before he goes in tomorrow, and Father, I just ask that you would hold him closely. God, would you give the doctors and the nurses and the staff ability beyond themselves? Uh, We would pray that you would heal him, and yet we would pray if that's not your will, that you would give them the ability to take care of uh, the tumor that is in uh, growing back again. And so, Lord, we uh, entrust him into your hands. Father, at the same time, I pray for anyone in here in this room uh, this morning who's going through health issues or similar situations. God, would you show yourself great. May we worship you in it. May we hold you as glorious as we will see that we need to do from this text today. Might we lift you high even when we are experiencing hard, high, hard times of life. And uh, we commit him to you in your care, in Christ's name, amen. Well, today. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through the first 15 chapters. We're in chapter 4 of Samuel. Uh, just a quick little context here to get us our minds again. Actually, turn a few pages to the left. Go to the uh, last page of the book of Judges. You'll pass through Ruth. It's just a couple pages. Ruth took place during the time of the Judges, during the time of the book of Judges. You see the very last verse at the end of Judges, verse 25, chapter 21. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. That's twice stated in the book of Judges. It's kind of the summary statement during that nearly two centuries of time that the book of Judges take place. I mean, that's describing what's taking place with God's people. That's just not other people outside of us. That's God's people. God's people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And might I say, by the way, uh, that is very much... Sadly, much of what's happening today And that's been taking place for centuries of time here. And then you get to the beginning of Samuel, and my point is, is it's like God has been long suffering, God has been patient, God has been kind, and God has been gracious in this time where God's people are using and abusing the Lord and and just forgetting about the Lord in it. And yet, there comes a time and God is coming, uh, bringing things again in the kind of way. He's at move, you can feel him. You can hear him. So in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, Hannah, this dear lady, this barren woman, and she's wrestling with the Lord for a child. And yet God is doing a work in her life, but also a work beyond her life. And then we get 1 Samuel chapter 2, and, and we, 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 we find that not only is God at work, but God's at work in a situation where even the priests are just abusing and misusing uh, the Lord himself. Hophni and Phineas, the two sons of Eli. They literally are turning the tabernacle, the temple, into a brothel for themselves. They're misusing women. They are taking and making a vagus kind of a gambling almost thing out of the, the sacrifices that are being brought for their own good. God had intended for the sacrifices to provide for the priests and so forth, but they are abusing and abusing it in multiple ways, and we get a sense something's going wrong. And then chapter 3 last Sunday, it's a reminder that God is at work. God's raising this little 12-year-old boy, this teenage boy. God is speaking louder and louder. What seems like God has been quiet for such a period of time, God is on the scene. But know this, God is always at work. God is always fulfilling his purposes, always fulfilling his promises, even when we can't hear him, okay? And maybe for some of you today with what's going on in your life, that's the thing you need to be encouraged with today. And even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't sound like it, God is at work. It was a mess, but God's doing a redeeming work, the glory of the Lord in life with. You need to understand what we're doing today in chapter four is really part one of kind of the next Sunday. So when I leave off, I leave off at the end of chapter four. It's sad. It's just sad. It's what? It's sad. And it's kind of like, uh, it's a hard thing to send you out the door, kind of feeling sad. Uh, But the Lord's at work, okay? And, and, uh, And then Pastor Nate will pick it all up and clean it all up next Sunday. So we start with the defeat. It's 1 Samuel chapter 4. The defeat, the first two verses. And the word of the Lord came to all, I'm sorry, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. By the way, isn't that interesting? The word of Samuel came. Lord is working through Samuel. Now oh, we pick up. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Afek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was what? Defeated. If you mark in your Bible, I'm a marker in my Bible, you need to underline that because that's the base of what's happening here. Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. You know, God's word doesn't always tell us everything we want to know, but it does tell us what we need to know. There's a few things I'd like to know that it doesn't tell us, like why this battle? It doesn't tell us that. Or how the defeat specifically happened. It doesn't tell us that. Or how many total men were in battle. Were there 5,000 men and 4,000 died? Or were there 50,000 men and 4,000? Here's the thing. Uh, Sometimes our interests and our desires of wanting to know some certain things don't really matter. But we are given what we need to know. A battle happened. Israel lost. And some 4,000 were killed in it. And I think we can see already in these first two verses that the people of Israel have a situation. And in fact, I would say it this way. They got shellacked. They literally got shellacked in battle. And a decision follows a shellacking. A decision follows a defeat. Now what's going to happen is, I'm going to read the next two verses. And we're going to spend a good amount of time in these next two verses kind of working this out, wrestling this out, thinking this out, even getting a little uncomfortable with it. Because these next two verses, verse 3 and 4, we learn that they got shellacked, we learn that they defeated, and now a decision is to be made. And what we're going to see here in these next two verses is really what's going on in the heart of God's people. What's going on in their mind with how they're thinking, what their relationship, what their view of God is, what their view of God's glory is. And that's why I want to spend the time because the rest of the chapter, it just all unfolds right out of that. Verses three and four, let's hang here for a little bit. It's the core of the text. Verse three, and when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies, verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were there with the Ark of God, okay. A decision is made. The decision that is made is stated as the elders, but you need to understand it in the way that the author is writing this. I think it's very clear that while the elders, the leaders came together and we hear some of the words they're talking about, the writer is helping us to understand that this isn't just about a few group of elder situations. This is actually the people as a whole. You see that in the beginning of verse 3. See where it says, the people came. They came back from the battle. They came from, the people came. And then you see the beginning of verse 4 where it says, the people sent. So you have the elders talking, but the people sent. Uh, I think again, the writer is helping us readers understand that what is, being, what is happening here is not just a few select individuals. This is representative of all the people. We now get to see what's going on and how the people of God are handling things. And first, I would state it this way. The people, because I think it's the whole of it, the people, they state some good theology. You can see it in verse three. It says, the Lord defeated us. The Lord shellacked us. By the way, I got to tell you, that's actually very mature thinking to realize that. That God allowed us to get defeated and shellacked. That's a hard thing to understand. That's one of the, uh, the hardest things to wrestle out. But they are right. Friends, God is sovereign. And in his sovereign control over all things, there are some things that I just don't fully understand. There are some things I don't fully put together. If if we could spend the whole time talking about uh, the sovereignty of God and his control over all things, and I'll tell you, by the time we get through it all, we would come to the end and there's still a part of it that we just go, you know, when it comes right down to it, there's still part of it I don't understand. That's why God is God and you and I are not. Okay? And, And this is one of the biggest things that you and I have to get good with. Because oftentimes what happens with this is we wrestle with the sovereignty of God, and what's really kind of going on sometimes in our own heart is, is God, I want to be able to have you fully explainable to me. Um, Loved ones, that's a bad place to be in. Because there comes a point in time, even in the question, even in the wonder, like Hannah. That we come to the place and the point in time, remember in chapter one, where she comes before the Lord and it's as though she lays it before the Lord and she walks out joyful. Lord's gonna handle it. And they had some good theology. But what comes out of good theology are some bad practices. A bad decision even out of good theology is now made. Look at verse 3. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh. Shiloh is where the tabernacle is, the temple is. That it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. We would be saying, what's the big deal? Well, think about it. On one hand, I completely understand their response because I think they are clearly going back to the book of Joshua and thinking through what God did with Joshua with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, uh, Joshua chapter 3, we were there a few months ago, where it's uh, the people of Israel are getting ready to come out of the desert into the promised land. They're about to cross through the F- Jordan River that's flooding, and God tells them to have the priests go down, get their feet up in into the water, and then God parts the river out, and the two million Israelites cross over onto the other side. Then when the, the priests with the ark step up on the other side, the river just comes right back in, and now they're in the promised land, the sending base place. It's also, uh, I think they're thinking back to uh, uh, Joshua 6, with the battle of Jericho, what happens at Jericho? God tells Joshua and his people that they're to take the Ark of the Covenant and for seven, for six days uh, they're to walk around the the, the the walls of Jericho. And on the seventh day, they're to have seven priests with seven ram horns, and behind them is to be the Ark of the Covenant walking, and then the people, and they go around the the, the walls of Jericho seven times on the seventh day. Could you imagine being inside Jericho? You know, I mean, you've seen the video tales movie, right? You know, it, it, you know, being inside the walls and looking at it like, what is going on here? And then the seventh time around they get and the priests lay on the horn and all the people are to yell. Ah! And Jericho falls in. Oh, look at verse five. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. I think clearly what's going on here is the decision has been made by the people. We got shellacked, we got defeated by the Lord. What would the Lord want us to do? Well, the Lord would want us to take the Ark and the Lord would want us to bring the Ark and put it before and then shout and and God will do a work. Because if it happened then, surely it must happen now. Because if God did it that way then, surely God must do that way now. After all, God said He doesn't he wants his people to have victory. What's happening here? They're playing the God card. That's what's happening here. The reason I went back to the text of Judges, and even to the beginning couple chapters of Samuel, is this. It has been decades and centuries of God's people kind of giving God, like, a nice look. But no commitment, no obedience, no faithfulness, no seriousness of life. I'm not saying that we earn God's favor, but the fact of relationship with the Lord at that time was pretty much life without the Lord. And and then you come into... 1 Samuel chapter 2, and the priests in the temple have made a brothel, and they are misusing God's sacrificial process, and they are just making a mockery of it all. And then in it, by the way, did you notice in the text, we see nothing of them after making the statement that the Lord has defeated us? We see nothing of them saying, hey, folks, we need to pray. Like, we need to pause and seek the Lord. What is going on here? Like, why would the Lord allow that to happen? Is God trying to show us something about ourselves, even reveal something in our own hearts? Is the Lord trying to discipline or correct us? Or is the Lord maybe in this? He, he's just doing a work to, 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 to help us understand more of who he is. Hey, hey, let's, let's fast and pray and seek the Lord. You don't see a lick of that in there. Oh, by the way, just as Joshua 3 and Joshua 6, God told the people to do it that way. We don't see anything of that in the text of God telling them to do it the way they're going to do it here. This is all, that's the way God did it then. Our lives have been utter disobedience unto the Lord for decades and centuries and even in the present now. And yet when our sorry hides get shellacked, we're going to pull out The ark. I'm glad you and I would never do that. Friends, I actually think that we're quite, we have a tendency to do that. And I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about me as well. This is a classic example of God's people thinking that life with the Lord includes us just pulling out the God card and playing it at whim anytime we want for our own benefit. God save me, man! Now, would you fully agree that we are to call out for the Lord to save and to come alongside until absolutely... But in it, there's a difference between understanding what's happening here in the text and what was happening back in Joshua. Are you with me on that? This, is utter, this has been disregard for God's people. In fact, if you go back into Deuteronomy 28 and you see what God had laid out for his people, in that, God had said, listen, here, here's how this covenant relationship works. Oh, by the way, it's the Ark of the Covenant. Here's how this covenant relationship works. And in Deuteronomy 28, he said, listen, if you will be faithful to me, if you will pursue after me uh, in this, that, 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 that I, I will do a work among you and through you and around you like you've never seen or the world has never seen. But also in Deuteronomy 28, he says that if, if you decide to be unfaithful, and God's not like looking for every moment, but on the whole of life that's going on, if you decide to turn your head to me, I will bring curses and confusion and frustration in all that you undertake. And then verse 25, chapter 28, I will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Do you see here that? God before had told his people, hey, in this whole covenant relationship, and here's the Ark of the Covenant, that I will, if you are just, if you decide to do your own thing, do it your own way, and not momentarily, but for a long haul, that I will cause you to be defeated. Do know, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity. Friends, that is our God. But you would understand that there comes a point in time where God with his people is like, listen, this has gone on so long, I love you so much, I'm not trying to crush you, I love you so much that I am now going to help you come to understand who I am because I am not your hidden immunity idol. You know the show? It's been around like 150 years now. Survivor, they have the hidden immunity immunity idol. It's where the lucky person that finds this, they hold it. In fact, they kind of hold it away so no one else knows. And then they have the opportunity, when it works best for them, to pull that immunity idol out and play it for their own benefit to save their sorry sap selves... From getting voted off the island. And sometimes others know that they have it and they're working it out, and other times no one else knows that they have it and they pull it out and they're all like, now what do we do? And friends, I would suggest sometimes we do that with God. We can, uh, let me just give you a couple examples. I want to be careful with this because uh, I don't want to offend anyone, but I do want to press our thinking on some things. When we were in Scotland, uh, we saw in a few churches, apparently there's kind of a slogan, infamous Christian slogans. And it was, try praying. Okay? Thumbs up, man. Pray, right? But hold on a second. How are people understanding that? And what are they doing? And what knowledge do they have even when they come to pray? Because I think it's actually to the common ordinary person, they're coming in and saying, you know, I've been trying to do this and I've been trying to do this and I haven't got what I wanted, so okay, I'll try praying. And so they pray. And then they pray again and they pray again and then they come back from it and go, I tried praying and I didn't get what I want. Right? I think sometimes we can play a hidden immunity idol, almost with uh, the presentation of the gospel. Hey, you wanna have your problems solved? You wanna have a happy life? You want everything to go wonderful? Hey, I got an immunity idol and his name is Jesus and he'll take care and he'll make everything wonderful for you. Really, that's really interesting because the Apostle Paul, I remember, if, am I correct? The Apostle Paul kinda of had some hard times in Christ. I want to be healed. I want forgiveness. I want to be loved. I want my finances fixed. I want happiness. I want a better job. I want my problems solved. I want. And Jesus becomes the means of our want. And know this I'm all about the forgiveness that Christ brings and the salvation that he does, the redeeming work that he does. I am so all about that God can turn hard things into glorious things that include wonderful things, that can bring joy and happiness and all kinds of marvelous things. But you see, when we put God out front as our little idol to be using to get us what we want, we have the glory of the Lord in the wrong place. The fact of the matter is the Lord becomes about our glory rather than us becoming about the glory of the Lord. And we don't play God, we worship him. Even in the context of things like receive Jesus into your heart, I really don't quite know all what that means. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Terminology. And I think when people hear that oftentimes, they're thinking about, well, I have a whole bunch of shelf of things in my heart, and so I'm going to add Jesus to that. But listen, here's the reality. When we come to understand that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, he is victorious, he is glorious, he is the grand one of creations, Colossians chapter 1, who created all things, all things worship him and hold him, and he provides utter complete of covering of all your sin, all your guilt. He is the glorious, glorious Lord of all, King of kings. Receive him into your heart. There's a big difference. And I'm so amped up about this passage because I'm concerned that I look and I go, oh my word, you dudes. You are using God to save your momentary sad self for your own thing. And I'm concerned we do the same thing. Friends, there's something far greater than that. It is Revelation chapter one, John falling before the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ in the very presence of the Lord, thinking he was going to die because he's so glorious. And then he takes his right hand. Remember, he moves the stars. Right hand. Fear not, John. And then Revelation chapter five. With all those around the throne, when the one who comes in, the lamb that is the lion who looks like he was slain, comes in, and all the heavens declare the grandness and the glory. You don't see any of that in the text. They're playing God. God as their immunity idol, as their ace in the hole. And we're not to do that. We're not to do that. There's a divine defeat and then they make an undivine decision. And out of that, watch the devastation. Now, before I read this, I want to make a statement. We're partway through the narrative of the ark, verses four through uh, chapter four through chapter six. What I am, in reading this, what is not being said is that, listen, if you or I play God as our immunity idol in a situation, that God is going to do all of this to you. Just know that and be encouraged. The Lord is long-suffering and patient. He, He loves his people, but there is a thing to where the Lord comes to a place and time and he said, it's time for me to show myself to you full out, and that includes some of like what we're about to read. So don't be fearful about this. I'm not seeking to crush you in this. I'm seeking to call us to see the glory of the Lord because ultimately that's what God's trying to do here in the text. Let's pick up verse five. The devastation. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, Joshua six, so that the earth resounded, verse six, and when the Philippines, When the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. By the way, as you're reading through this, it's amazing how much the Philistines knew about the Lord and his people and how God works through his people. They know about the ark. They're going to know about coming out of the exodus. Just you, you see it in here. They know much about the Lord. Um, verse 6. They heard the noise, what does this great shouting mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to camp, the Philistines were afraid for they said, a God, notice it's a small g, a God has come into the camp and they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? By the way, you're clearly getting the understanding that they have a a polytheistic view of the divine, that there are many gods Uh, Here's one of the cool things Pastor Nate's going to, I'm sure, be bringing to the table uh, next week in this text, is that not only is God doing a work in his own people, God is going to be revealing himself to these people, and he is going to be revealing himself to those who think that there are many gods of this, which is one of them, he is going to reveal to them in what I think is in an absolute hilarious manner, oh, I wish I could preach next Sunday. It's a hilarious thing that God does in it all. There's sadness in it, but hilarious. God is going to show them that He is God. He loves His people, and He loves those who are at this point not His people. And he's going to reveal himself. Let's keep going. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They knew about that. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Go, pacers. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 10. So the Philistines, they fought. And Israel was what? Hmm. And they fled every man to his home, and there was a very great slaughter. You, you notice how the, these words, the writer is helping us to understand the magnitude of what's going on. Why is it a very great slaughter? For 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. 30,000. Isn't that like the total population of like Brownsburg and Avon Gone? Verse 11. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, you know the two creeps from 1 Samuel chapter 2, the two creepy priests, dead. Oh, by the way, just as God said they would die on the same day in chapter 2, verse 34. I wish there wasn't a break. If your Bible has a little break there, I wish it wasn't. It just keeps going. Verse 12, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day. By the way, that's like a marathon, like 20-mile run. With his clothes torn and with dirt on his head, when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled. Note what his heart trembled for. His heart trembled for the ark of God. Let me stop here for a minute and uh, make a couple mentions about the ark. Uh, Marlon, could you help me here? Let's pull this over. Grab that sign. We're just going to slide it over a little bit more to the center. Thank you. Thank you, Elder Marlon. Okay, the ark of God, oftentimes we think that uh, the ark is like this really super impressive thing. Now I've had it on the side screens this whole time and it's quite large on that, but actually the ark of the covenant is not that big of an item. The ark is almost exactly the size that you have right here. It's not that big, it's not that impressive. Think about how kind of God, when God had uh, his people uh, make the ark of the covenant, that it was small so when they carried around desert, right? It wasn't this impressive thing, but it was a box. It had a box that was about three and three quarters foot long and about two and a uh, a half feet uh, wide and tall. And in it, in the box, it was gold on the outside, and inside the box was a gold jar of manna from when they were uh, 40 years in the desert. There was Aaron's rod was inside of that. And then uh, there was also the the tablets, of the Ten Commandments were in that. And then on top of it, as you can see on the screen, there were these two cherubim that were there. and God in, in uh, uh, Exodus 25 told them to make this ark. And, and it, it, this is, the ark is where uh, God would descend and God would be with his people. It was from the ark where God would speak to his people the, the, the ark also had rings on the side, so you could put the bars like you see on the screen above, and you could carry it, but normally when it was static, when it was placed in the tabernacle and the temple, the ark was inside the Holy of Holies, Inside the Holy of Holies was not that big of a room. It was not intended to be a room where everybody came into. In fact, it was a room that only once a year the high priest could come into. Uh, People could not just come up to the Ark, you'll learn more about that uh, here soon, uh, come up to the Ark and touch it. If they touched it, it would die. Know this, the Ark is not the glory of the Lord itself. The Ark is a representation of where the glory of the Lord would reside. And yet, God would have his mercy seat here on the wings of the cherubim. The ark was something of the Lord's that was not used to be toyed with. It was not a tool to be played. And yet we find that they are. They've carted it down to battle, thinking that surely God would help us Even though we've been unfaithful, we have not even been doing life with the Lord. Surely, God will save ourselves. And we see that God gets them very shellacked. Back to verse 12. And so this man from Benjamin runs and tells Eli, verse 13, when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Isn't that interesting? Watch the order of how how these things are told about. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. Cried not not in a happy yell, but they cried out in a no, we've been defeated. And When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? And then the, the man hurried and came and told Eli. Eli was about 98 years old. His eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? And he brought the news. And he who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has also been a great defeat among the people. Oh, and Eli, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. Oh, and Eli, the ark of God has been captured. Verse 18, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died. I want to note something in this. This whole thing, there is a respect for the Lord and a respect for even the Ark of the Covenant. But even though there is a respect for, there has been an abuse of. And here Eli hears about this and he falls over backward as though he is going to die. For he was very old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. That's just letting us know that he was the head priest for that period of time. But the devastation isn't over, verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and about to give birth. Stop. We learned in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that Phineas the priest was a player and he was playing all the women in the temple and we learn in first samuel chapter 2 that actually the people of israel they all knew about this odds are so did his wife i come to her and i go bless her heart i can't imagine just the devastation of life she's been through Likely knowing what her husband has been doing. And she's pregnant and about to give birth. Bless her heart. And when she heard the news that the ark of, the, of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, um, this dear lady dies. In birth. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, pay attention, verse 21. And she named the child Ichabod. By the way, I've never met anyone named Ichabod. That's been good. Because of what it means saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, repeating again, just so we get it, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Six devastating things are told to us in this event as to what happens. Number one, 30,000 soldiers of Israel are dead. 30,000. Number two, three priests of Israel are dead. One ark of God is captured. One daughter in law is dead. And one baby boy is named Ichabod. And sixth, and the biggest, the glory of the Lord has departed. Scotland, Great Britain, 100, 200 years ago, used to be the centerpiece of the gospel to the world. Today, it's like God has left the place. The people are dear, they are sweet as can be. But the spiritual interest in the Lord is like gone. They say in talking to people about the Lord, it's not like let's discuss the various views. It's literally just like, they say that it's like there's nothing behind their eyes. They're like, why? Why? Are you serious, the Lord? And it's like God has departed and his glory is gone in a place that was once a bastion of the gospel to the world. Friends, I would suggest if you wanna see what America's gonna be like in 50 or 100 years, we're not far from it. And yet in this text, that's what we see. Friends, this is not something to walk out of here fearful that God is gonna crush you. Oh, please don't, okay, we good with that? Hey, I'm not convinced. Okay? That's not what we're saying today. We're looking at a text where it has been unfaithfulness, 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 unfaithfulness for a series of time, over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, and then in it, when their sad self is at a moment, they, they pull at the ark, they shoot it at their problem, and they say, God, go take care of it for me. And I'm just asking us today in this, we see what happens, and this is a bit of a wake-up call. Friends, this is not how we use the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is to be worshipped and adored and awed, not used and abused. Three closing truths about the Lord. The Lord is fulfilling his promises always. The Lord is fulfilling his promises even when it doesn't seem like it. Because in the text of chapter four, God had said He would take Phineas and Eli out, or Phineas and Hophni out, as judgment for them, and God did. And by the way, God has said that He would f- have he, he would in Deuteronomy 28, if they want to decide not to follow Him, that He will bring defeat upon them, and He did. The Lord is fulfilling his promises. Also, the Lord is revealing himself. We'll see next Sunday. The Lord is showing himself. And God, through all the hurt and the pain here, God is gonna reveal who he is. And lastly, the Lord is preparing to do a work. The Lord is at work. And right now for you, if you're in a place where it's like it just feels like everything is crashing in, I ask for you, like the psalmist talk about, that you would hold on to the Lord because he knows where it's going. He knows what's happening. And listen, don't use the Lord. Worship the Lord in it. So Lord, I'm gonna leave it there. And uh, I trust that you will use your word in ways to encourage and in ways to challenge Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you as their savior, that, that you would do a work in them that, 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 that draw them to yourself, Lord. Because a relationship with you is not about getting all the little candy items Of you. Relationship with you is about abiding with you. It is about the worship of, the adoration of, the the joy of, the the, the delight in, the the glory of it. Yes, and receiving all that comes as a result of that. God, we just have the selfish way of using you for our benefits and for our glory. And I pray that you would grow us in our wisdom of what it is to be able to worship you and honor you and hold you and esteem you. And to walk with you in the kind of way that holds your glory up high. It is about the fame of your name. It is about the fame of your purposes. It is about the fame of your ways. God, help us as we do life with you. In Christ's name, amen.